Well, good morning. Great to see so many faces. I wasn't sure what I should expect this morning. Uh, Judy and I, we left our building rather early this morning, the first ones to leave the building for sure because there were no tracks in the snow. There's a steep incline coming out of the underground parking. And uh, we had to take, I think, seven runs at that hill before we got out onto the sidewalk. And so we're thankful to be here with you this morning. I think I needed to write a letter to our strata council, uh, you know, make a formal complaint. Um, Maybe you have had a hard time getting here this morning. You know, um, it's interesting as we gather uh, during the Christmas season, we experience the joy of Christ's birth. We sing Christmas carols. Here at Willingdon, we have a whole bunch of banquets, and we eat food together, and we hear wonderful testimonies. We're encouraged. And then we go home, and like I did last Sunday, we turn on the evening news, and these are the kinds of stories that we hear. Uh, the first story that I heard last Sunday was of Aleppo in Syria. And so there in Syria, hundreds of thousands of people have died. Millions have been displaced, right? Despair. And then the second story was from Istanbul. Two suicide bombers had killed 40 policemen and wounded another 150. And then the third story was from Nigeria, uh, talking about Boko Haram and the ongoing brutal activity, despair around the world. And here in Canada as well, stories of despair. It was remarkable. The, the next story was about the drug epidemic in Canada and how many people are dying because of drug overdoses. I talked with a paramedic last night and he was saying, hey, the story is much worse than what you actually hear on the news. And then there was a story about two skiers that skied uh, out of bounds on Cypress Mountain and they found themselves in a gully. They were carried by an avalanche right to the bottom of that gully and they couldn't get out Sunday, Sunday night. The rescue team couldn't get them in the darkness of night and so they stayed down there. Temperatures went down as low as minus six centigrade. They dug out a little snow cave and they set up their skis as benches tried to stay warm, they'd sleep a bit, then get up, exercise. Uh, they said in their own words that they were often cursing each other for how foolish they had been. Spent the night in the snow cave. If it had not been for a Vancouver search and rescue team, they would have died in that gully, in that valley of despair. Around the globe today, many people live in a valley of despair. They hunker down, they expect the worst, sometimes even curse each other for the bad decisions made by them or made by others. What difference has it made that Jesus came 2,000 years ago? What difference has it made that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? What difference has it made for you and for me? Today's text, Isaiah chapter 9, it gives us one of the most profound answers to our question. It was written 700 years before Jesus was born, written by the prophet Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That text or that passage, it ends in verse 7 with, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Some of you have heard those words many, many times. For unto us a child is given, for unto us a son is born. They're printed on Christmas cards. They're sung in Christmas carols. Even in our Christmas production, love has come. You will hear those phrases multiple times. They, of course, were immortalized by George Friedrich Handel when he composed his Messiah, and that Messiah has been sung for centuries. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Maybe you even start singing or humming those words as you hear them being spoken. Why were they given to Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born? At the time when Isaiah penned these words, when these words were given by the Holy Spirit, Israel and Judah were in a time of despair. Chapter 8 says that they were in the gloom of anguish. They held their king. They held God in contempt. They were cursing God and king, the text says. There was no light of dawn. As I was driving down Boundary this week, on the corner of Boundary and Grandview, there was a homeless person with the sign, Broken Hungry, Anything Helps, a look of despair. In Isaiah's day, people were overwhelmed by fear and oppression. The greatest superpower of the world, Assyria, was on the doorstep of the northern kingdom, Israel. And Israel and Judah knew that they were no match for the Assyrians. Not only were there external threats to Israel and Judah, they were suffering from internal corruption, politically, economically, socially, spiritually. In their despair, instead of choosing God's way, They had rejected the presence of the living God. They did not receive the message that was prophesied to them in chapter 7 of Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. They had turned from the presence of God and they were stumbling over the revelation that God had given them. They had fallen into their own religious creations. They were enshrouded in spiritual darkness, immersed in idolatry. They even worshipped the gods of the surrounding nations, those nations that conquered them. For example... King Ahaz, he set up in the temple in Jerusalem an altar to the gods of Damascus, sacrificed his own children there. Their hearts were hardened to the eternal word of God, the God who sees everything from beginning to end. They didn't want to hear. And in the vacuum, they consulted the dead through mediums. You see, if we turn from God, we have to find guidance somewhere. Question for you, is Canada so different An article written in Maclean's last year, in March of last year, the article is entitled, What Canadians Really Believe, a Surprising Poll. I'll quote from it. 
The vast majority of Canadians have become less enthusiastic, indifferent, or even hostile to Christianity. John Stackhouse, professor of theology and culture at Regent College, says this. The number of Canadians identifying themselves as atheists has almost doubled in 10 years. Broadly speaking, religious literacy among Canadians has declined dramatically. 20 years ago, about half of the Canadian population could name the apostle who denied Jesus three times. That percentage has dropped to 31%. Continuing to quote the article, however polarized we may be on certain questions, there are some surprising beliefs shared by many Canadians. The percentage of people who believe it's possible to communicate with the dead has doubled over the past three decades. Alarming. Up to 42%. The share of people who believe that Jesus was the divine Son of God has steadily gone down. But more people believe that they will be reincarnated. Up to one-third of Canadians. More than half of Canadians believe some people have psychic powers. And so as Canadians dismiss biblical understandings, they are filling that vacuum with other beliefs. They are filling it with a mix of superstition and paganism. And so spiritual darkness hovers over our nation. People are in despair. What was the word of God for the people of Isaiah's day? Well, chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And so it begins addressing the gloom of Israel and Judah. Her who was in anguish. It refers to those nations. The people are distressed and hungry. It doesn't stop there. Look at verse 1. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So Isaiah, in his language, he speaks about the future as if it is already present. When the Assyrian army invaded the promised land 700 years before the birth of Christ, they entered by way of the fertile crescent, and the first tribal regions to be conquered were that of Zebulun and Naphtali. Galilee at that time, Zebulun and Naphtali are found in Galilee. Galilee, it, is, it goes from the valley Jezreel north past the Sea of Galilee, west of the Sea of Galilee up to Mount Hermon. And so in our text, Isaiah talks about the way of the sea. You see the Assyrians, they wanted the trade route that went from Assyria all the way down to Egypt. And those tribes were brought into contempt through their defeat. They were devastated, depopulated. But then our text says... But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. And so the prophet, again, he sees into the future as if it is present. By faith, he sees a glorious reversal in those tribal regions. Those tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, they will be the first to see the glorious new era. The first to see the light dawning. God's grace bringing honor to a humiliated people. Why such audacious hope? Why would Isaiah be filled with such hope? Well, a son will be given. Pastor Jonathan preached on Isaiah chapter 7 last week, and he talked about a son being given God with us, Emmanuel. And that son was a sign that 
The people of Israel and Judah, or sorry, the people of Judah did not need to depend on Assyria for their own welfare. They should trust God. In chapter 8, verse 3, the child's birth signals the same thing. And then in chapter 9, the text that we read today, the birth of the child carries the message another step forward. There is another child to come that will fulfill the promise. Which child? Well, when Jesus comes, the Messiah, where does he begin his ministry? He launches his global mission precisely from Galilee. Although still a despised region, Jesus honors that area with his presence. And in Matthew chapter 4, look at what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when he heard that John, John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, Jesus is the promised child, and what does he accomplish? Well, Matthew continues to recite the words of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. And so those who walked in spiritual darkness, those in this deep shadow of sin, those who walked in the gloom of anguish because they refused to inquire of God, those of Zebulun and Naphtali, on them the light of Christ shines first. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I began this message talking about tragedy in Aleppo, Syria. Is God at work in the Middle East today? I talked with one of our members this morning whose daughter lives in Iraq and talked about the darkness hovering over that region. Is God at work in the Middle East in our day? I'd like to share a story which comes from a refugee camp in Turkey. Many Syrians have fled Syria and are now in refugee camps in Syria. A young Canadian missionary by the, by the name of April, she tells the story of rooming with a refugee. I'll give this refugee the name of Farhana. It's not her real name. They stay together for a week. April writes, Farhana rolled over on her cot and looked at me with huge eyes. I repeated my simple question, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? And Farhana replied, I saw Jesus. Six years ago, he was in my dream. As far as April knew, her roommate was Muslim. Her whole family practiced Islam. What do you mean, April asked. Farhana replied, Ten years ago, I read the Bible. She had enjoyed the words that she had read, but had not really understood them, and so she had put the Bible aside. They only began to have meaning to her sometime later, about four years later, when a visitor appeared in her dream. Farhana said the following, I saw him while I was sleeping. In my dream, I suddenly found myself in a big green field with green trees all around me. A man dressed in a white robe was standing there. He had this thing on his forehead like a crown with prickles. I had read about that in the Bible, so I knew it was him. It was Jesus, she said. He didn't speak to me, but he looked at me. Actually, he looked into me. 
She smiled, placing her hand on her heart. He gestured to me before he disappeared into the sky. Farhana, after having that dream, she went to her local mosque and she asked for answers to her questions. She was having trouble reading the Quran. She was having trouble reciting her daily prayers. She didn't get answers. April asked her, do you know why Jesus appeared to you? Do you know that Jesus loves you, that he wants a relationship with you? Farhana listened intently. April began to explain the gospel story to her, beginning in creation, going all the way through to Jesus coming as Messiah, explaining the reason why Jesus had come and given his life for her sins, why he had died for her, the love of the Father for her. April said, Jesus is inviting you to follow him, Farhana. He wants you to be his daughter. I know, Farhana interrupted. With tears pouring down her face, she surrendered her life to Jesus. When they gathered with friends the next day, others were just amazed by the deep joy that Farhana was exuding. The light of life replacing the darkness of death. The light of knowledge replacing the darkness of ignorance. The light of salvation replacing the darkness of sin. You see, for unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And because a son is given, light shines in the darkness. The joy of Farhana's new relationship with Jesus, it, it just leads us right into chapter 9, verse 3. This is what we read, Isaiah 9, verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So Isaiah, somehow in his day, seven years, hundred years before Christ, by the Spirit, he sees the small, faithful remnant of Israel multiplying. He sees the divided nation of Israel and Judah reunited and growing. There's joy of harvest. There's the joy as when the military triumphs in battle. Isaiah also sees in chapter 2 just a river of humanity flowing toward the people of God, the people of Israel actually finally living out their glorious role. Isaiah 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And so when Jesus comes in John chapter 12, verse 32, he talks about being lifted up. He talks about drawing all people to himself. Jesus was lifted up on the mount outside of Jerusalem. And over the last 2,000 years, he has been drawing people from around the globe to himself. He gave his life as a ransom for all peoples. And all that have embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, all that have turned from sin, from the valley of despair to Jesus, have experienced his deep, deep joy. Revelation chapter 7 shares this wonderful vision of the end of all things. Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. McLean's, our national news magazine, carried another article in November, last month. And they cite Reginald Bibby, who's a sociologist at the University of Lethbridge. And Reginald Bibby, he projects that in China alone, by the year 2050, there will be 220 million Christians. The church continues to grow around the globe, even in the Middle East. If you hear stories from people on the grassroots level, these are not the stories being shared on our, uh, through our media outlets. But people in the church... Those that are working in the refugee camps, they see unprecedented numbers of people coming to faith in Jesus, house churches being planted. And so we need to remember that God is writing a story in the Middle East in our day. For unto us a child is born, and because a son is given, joy emerges from the place of despair. Why is there such an abundance of joy among the nations? Those peoples from all tribes and peoples and languages in Revelation chapter 7. Well, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 9, you'll see the word for in verse 4. You'll see the word for in verse 5. You'll see the word for in verse 6. Three times the prophet Isaiah says there's a reason for joy. Verse 4 of chapter 9, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And when Isaiah prophesies those words as on the day of Midian, he's referring back to, back to the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6 and 7. At that time, Israel was under the oppression, the oppressive yoke of Midian. They were actually living in dens and caves out of fear. In the valley of despair. And God raises up Gideon to lead Israel to freedom. He calls men to battle from the northern tribes, from Manasseh. He calls them from Zebulun, from Naphtali. God whittles that army down to 300 men. And a miraculous victory occurs. God fights the battle for Israel. By the power of God, the Midianites are defeated. And that's the God that the people of Isaiah's day need to believe in. They have turned from God, from the presence of God. They have turned from Emmanuel, God with us. And they are following their own ways. crushed by a heavy yoke. They're beaten by the rod of oppression. The oppression was tangible because of foreign armies, because of the Assyrians. The oppression was also there because they had turned from God to worship other gods. And they were experiencing the consequences of spiritual darkness. How would God deliver his people from oppression? Well, a son would be given. A son would be given that would set men and women free. So when Jesus comes, 700 years after Isaiah prophesied those words, he's in Nazareth of Galilee in a synagogue. He opens the scriptures and he turns to Isaiah 61 and this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Quoted, of course, in Luke chapter 4. You see, through his death and resurrection, Jesus, he triumphs over the powers of evil, sin, and death. And Paul exults for freedom. Christ has set us free. For unto us a child is born, and because a sin, because a son is given, the power of God delivers from oppression. That's the first four. Then there's a second four in verse five, a second reason for abundant joy. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So the picture is of of battle clothing being burned. It's no longer needed. The boots of war, they're replaced by those shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Earlier in Isaiah, weapons are pictured as being destroyed. This is Isaiah 2 as well. Swords are beaten into plowshares. Spears are beaten into pruning hooks. Nations no longer learn war. For unto us a child is born, and because a son is given, peace overcomes strife. Do we see that in the world today? Well, here's a story from Central Africa. And of course, if you have followed events in Central Africa over the last number of decades, you know that there has been a lot of tribal conflict between Hutus and Tutsis and Batwa. The Batwa, they are small in stature. They are often called pygmies. In the nation of Burundi, Burundi is known as the hungriest nation in the world. And among the hungry of Burundi, the most hungry are the Batwa. They've been driven from their traditional lands, their traditional areas that they inhabit in the jungles. Many of them now living as refugees in despair. Jean-Marie, a Batwa, he says, we're treated like pigs. Often I feel like I don't even exist in the eyes of others, like I'm not even human. Recently he was watching his family starve and he said in his heart, I thought that God had forgotten us, the Batwa people. And he heard a voice. As soon as he had that thought, he heard a voice, wait, God will come to visit you. A few days later, A Christian from a local church approached him, offered to help him, not only with education and health care, but shared, more importantly, with him the word of God. Jean-Marie, he discovered that Jesus had come, that God loved him, that that God did see him, that there was a message of hope, that there was a different way to live. His heart softened, and he entrusted himself to Jesus. In Burundi today, battle clothing is being burned as Hutus, Tutsi, and Batwa surrender their lives to Jesus, as they repent of their sin and turn to him and receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit reigns in their hearts and they begin to gather together. Jean-Marie, he's a worship leader. 
He's a musician. He's composing songs based on Bible verses. And these tribal groups now sing together the songs of peace. Where Jesus reigns, there is peace. They join the angels who sang on the day of Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among, the, among those with whom he is pleased. Well, that's a sign of hope in our day. Was there any sign of hope in Isaiah's day? Isaiah chapter 8 speaks of faithful disciples, disciples that hear the word of God through the prophet Isaiah in the midst of darkness 700 years before Christ. There's this new generation of faith. There's a, a faithful remnant. They treasure the witness of the word of God. They believe in the word that they receive. Emmanuel, God with us. They don't fall into the spiritual darkness of their day. They wait for the Lord. God is their sanctuary. They're focused on the Lord. They're a prophetic presence in their nation. They reveal what it means to have one's eyes focused on the Lord. Can we be that kind of faithful remnant in our day? Is there a reason for us in our day to live with an audacious hope? As I said earlier, the number of people claiming to be atheists has almost doubled in the last 10 years in Canada. Overall, church attendance in mainline Protestant denominations is going down. Some churches are closing. Some are becoming condominiums. But there's a new story that was written in the November issue of Maclean's. A recent study done by two Canadian academics, David Haskell and Kevin Flatt, reveal that those churches that believe in the authority and testimony of Scripture, those churches that believe that God works visibly in the world today, those churches that believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, preach the good news of Jesus Christ, and believe that God answers prayer, these churches continue to grow. And so this is not a day of despair in the valley of death. This is not a day to be hiding in a cave. Because of the son who was given, we stand on the hill and proclaim the hope of the great reversal. Light dispelling darkness. Joy instead of despair. Freedom from oppression. Peace in the midst of strife. 700 years after the prophet Isaiah prophesied the words that we read in Isaiah chapter 9, an angel appears and says, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. We have every reason to be filled with joy on this, I was going to say Christmas day, but rather during this Christmas season, every reason to be filled with joy because our Lord has come and has come to save us. He has come for all peoples and we have a message to share. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Those of us who are followers of Jesus were filled with, with joy. We thank you, Jesus, for coming. And I just want to say a word to those who might be here who have never surrendered their hearts to Jesus. The Father, out of love, has 
sent his son. He has shown his love to you by sending Jesus to die in your place, to take your sin upon himself. Jesus was lifted on a cross 2,000 years ago to pay the price for your redemption, for your salvation. And if the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself right now, then I would encourage you to open your heart. Turn from sin. Turn from a life independent of God. Open your heart to Jesus and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you do that, your sins will be forgiven. As you turn from sin and turn to God, Jesus offers forgiveness and eternal life. And he will send your whole, his Holy Spirit to live within you, to give you the power and the strength to follow him. And so I pray with those that don't know you, Jesus. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Pray with me if you don't know Jesus. Father, thank you for sending your son for my salvation. I repent, I turn from sin, and I open my heart to you, Jesus. I need you as my Savior and Lord. Fill me with your spirit this day. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that all of us who know you, that we would just share this message with all that we know, friends, family, colleagues, May we truly experience the joy of the season, not because it's just the season, but because of who you are, God, the true and living God, present in our lives by your Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas. <laughs>